So our text today, Acts 9, uh, the author of Acts, Luke, he shifts from the narrative of Saul of Tarsus, right? The last three to four weeks we've been looking at Saul of Tarsus, his powerful conversion, Jesus appears to him, he gets, you know, he falls to the ground, he's blinded, and then not only do we see his conversion, but we also see his commission that immediately he starts testifying to Jesus in the synagogues, both in Damascus and Jerusalem. And so in our text today, we kind of, uh, Luke kind of hits the e-break on the narrative of Saul of Tarsus, and we jump over to Peter, we see what Peter's up to. And what we know about, about the church in Acts 9 is that the church was facing persecution. And uh, because of that persecution, they were once all uh, the main hub of operations was once in Jerusalem, and they scattered, right? When the persecution came, they scattered to Judea, Samaria, to the kind of the ends of the earth. But the main, um, what do you uh, armed forces people call it, like central command? Is that a thing? Is there a thing for that? Sitcom command center? Anyways, so the apostles stayed in Jerusalem while the church was scattered, all right? I got my acronyms. I don't have all my acronyms. Anyways, so they would stay. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem kind of as like the central command for all things related to the church. But what they did, they didn't stay there and hide. They would go kind of on, here's another army. They would go on recon missions, right? Outside of recon, that's a thing. Uh, outside of Jerusalem. And we saw that the apostles did that with Philip and Samaria. They went up to Samaria. They left Jerusalem. And what we see in our text today is Peter leaves Jerusalem. And he goes west. He goes, he visits the town of Lydda, and he visits the town of Joppa. Joppa's on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. This is all directly, if you look at a map, directly kind of north, northwest of Jerusalem. And when Peter goes to Lydda and Joppa, what we see in Lydda is that Jesus Christ, through Peter, he heals a man who's paralyzed for eight uh, agonizing years. He's better than eight years. And the man is healed. And uh, it says uh, almost the entire town of Lydda and Sharon come to know Jesus because of that one healing. And then word spreads to the people in Joppa. They come and get Peter and say, hey, come pray for someone who's about to die, who has died. And then Jesus Christ, through Peter, raises Tabitha from the dead. That's what we're going to be looking at in our text today, is just through Peter, Jesus coming and bringing restoration and resurrection. Okay, and so here's the deal. You know as well as I do, as we've been going through Acts, it's hard not to be repetitive. And so Acts 3, we've seen Peter heal, uh, Jesus through Peter heal a, a, a lame beggar before in Acts 3. So if you have not heard my sermon on March 28th um, talking about healing in Acts 3, please go back to the podcast on the website and, uh, and go listen to that. That's where I talked about, you know, uh, kind of the biblical basis and overview of healing. Uh, why we believe at the church that healing is still for today, how it glorifies Jesus, how healing uh, emanates from the compassion of Jesus. And, uh, and then too, I also navigated that tension of how do we navigate the already but not yet of the kingdom of God? The already, the kingdom has come and yet the kingdom is still coming. And so what happens when, when we pray for healing and people die and, and people don't get better and we're still wrestling with these afflictions, how do we navigate that? Go back and listen to that sermon. What I'm going to be looking at today is, uh, is I'm going to be focusing on faith. One word, faith. And why faith? Because it was faith in Jesus that drove Peter to march to Lydda and to Joppa. And simply put, if Peter didn't have faith in Christ as the resurrection and the life in Lydda and Joppa, there would be nobody in Lydda and Joppa getting saved and healed and resurrected. And what I want to hone in on before we dive into the text is this, is often we have a misunderstanding of what faith is. Often in the church, we think faith is just mere intellectual belief about something. Okay, just mere intellectual uh, belief or intellectual assent, tipping the you know nodding the tipping the you know nodding your hat to a, an idea or something. Okay, and biblically, what we see if you look at Hebrews eleven and if you look at James two, what it teaches us about faith is that our faith uh, always manifests through what we do. 
Dr. Tony Evans says that faith is always in action. Faith is always in action. That, that the way our faith manifests is that it recruits our mouth, our hands, our legs, and we start saying things and we start going places. That would, that's what faith actually looks like, right? And so let me illustrate this. So about three weeks ago, uh, I went to Oklahoma City. I flew to Oklahoma City for a conference. I had friends out there, and frankly, I wanted to go visit Dr. Sam Storm's church, which was awesome. And uh, anyone here from Oklahoma City or been to Oklahoma City? Okay, great, because I'm about to make fun of it. All right. Um, <laughs> no offense if you're from the Midwest. Uh, but here's the wildest thing. So where this conference was at, the conference center, my apartment was like a 20-minute walk through kind of like the downtown area of Oklahoma City. This is a city in America, okay? And I, I thought that was a Roomba, like a vacuum there for a second. Anyway, sorry. Um, it's like, man, we need, to, we need to get some of those. Um, and uh, getting distracted. And here's, here's what was crazy about, like, if you're from Northern Virginia, you know we're really densely populated, right? Like, you can't drive anywhere without somebody on your bumper racing around you, you know, like, it's just really tightly packed. Going, going to Oklahoma City was surreal to me. During rush hour in the morning, around 8 a.m., like, like Wednesday morning, I would walk 20 minutes through Oklahoma City, and there were str- long stretches. I would not see any sign of human activity or life, Okay no car, nobody on the streets. I was like, did I miss the rapture? Like, like, like no joke. It was eerie. Like, like, am I in a zombie apocalypse movie? Do I need a pickaxe? Like, what is happening? I am in a downtown and there's nobody around. It was, it was terrifying. Okay. So that's why, uh, you don't often travel to Oklahoma city is because there's not much going on out there. But I will say this, if you do go, their hipster coffee shops are amazing. Okay. They got great hipster coffee joints. So make sure you go grab a $4 cup of coffee in Oklahoma City. Um, but uh, here's the deal, is that um, I did not just believe in thought that an airplane could fly me to Oklahoma City, right? That's not faith. Faith for me was believing that to be true and then busting out my wallet as an act of faith and going online and purchasing a ticket and then having coordinating someone to drop me off uh, to, to go to the airport and then, and then venturing into the valley of the shadow of death called the airport security to get to the, the terminal and then getting on the plane, assuming that the, assuming that there's pilots at the front that I've never met or seen, that will take me off and land me at a place I've never been before. It's all faith, right? That's what faith is. It's that idea. It's shifting from I just believe this to be true to I believe it to be true, so now I'm going to act upon what I believe, right? That's what faith is. That's what I think biblical faith looks like. And in our text today, what we see about Peter is that his faith in who Jesus was recruited his legs, his hands, and his mouth, and the Lord, uh, the kingdom of God came because of that because of that. And we'll explain that a little bit more. And second disclaimer, and then we'll dive into the text here, is this. The title of my sermon is Walking with Jesus, is Walking with Jesus. Why would that be a title about a sermon on faith? Is because this, is because, because I think our temptation um, when talking about faith is understanding faith as some mechanical process, right? Like, like I just say a prayer, or I just believe the right things, and it opens this door for God to move. When in fact, faith, faith is is always in the context of a relationship with the living, resurrected Savior. That's what, look, look at how Hebrews 11.6 describes faith in regards to relationship with God. And without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So frankly put, to walk with Jesus is to walk in faith, right? Because you have to believe that He exists, that He's present, that He's able, that He's trustworthy, uh, wherever you go, with whatever decisions he might inviting, be inviting you into. And we see the relational terms there, that as we draw near to him in faith, that he draws near to us. And that's why faith is so important in our walk with 
Jesus. And so my hope today is not to point us to faith, but to point us to, to, but to, point us to Jesus Christ. Point us to Jesus Christ and walking with him like the Apostle Peter, uh, Peter did. And so three, three truths to understand that, that will frame out my talk this morning. Three truths we need to understand if we're going to walk with Jesus. One, we need to understand that Jesus is present with us, that he's able, and he's trustworthy. So let's read this text, and then I'll pray, and we'll dive in. Verse 32, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who's paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him. And they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. By the way, if you're here pregnant and you're going to have a daughter and you're looking for a great biblical name, try out Dorcas, okay? I think that's, a, that's one that's gone hidden for too long, all right? Um, she was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. And so Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just come before you with grateful hearts. We're so grateful for uh, the giving of your son, Jesus, that we can come and just proclaim out of our mouths that, uh, uh, hallelujah, Christ, you're risen from the grave. So sin, our sins are forever uh, absorbed in the cross. We come here cleansed. We come here forgiven. We come here uh, guilt condemnation free. Uh, death is no longer uh, our final destination, no longer anything we fear, but it's just a doorway into everlasting life with you, Jesus. Uh, the demonic has no claim over our lives anymore, um, and we're forever unified to you. Nothing can separate us from your hand, God. So amidst all the, uh, the chaos of the sin-cursed and demonically infiltrated world around us, and we're, uh, maybe some of us here were disillusioned with how evil evil can really be in our world, God, and, and we're wondering where you are, would you come, Holy Spirit? And would you show us Jesus? Would you show us our Savior high and lifted up on the cross for us to redeem and rescue us? And would you comfort us today, Holy Spirit? And would you instill within us a, a fire and unshakable faith in who you are, God? And where you're seated, that you're still seated. You're still seated. You're still enthroned, God, above it all. So have your way with your word, God. I just pray, God, that... Um, you would be lifted up, you would be magnified, you would be glorified today. That I would decrease, I would be forgotten, that I wouldn't try to do anything in my own strength, but that Holy Spirit, you would speak, and that you would have your way with this short time we have together, Lord Jesus. And we do this, we posture our hearts, I do, and I invite everyone here to. We posture our hearts, not to hear a sermon, but to hear what our Savior has to say to us in his word. Lord, where are you inviting us to draw deeper into your heart today? Where are you inviting us, God? to turn from idols? Where are you inviting us to turn from fear and to turn to you today? So let's posture our hearts in humility and surrender to our King and what he has in store for us, not what I have in store for you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, first part is this, is that to walk with Jesus, we need to understand that Jesus, thanks be to God, is present with us. And the first thing that sticks out in our text today is this, is that if you were to replace the name Peter with Jesus, you would think you're reading the Gospels, okay? So watch this. Let me retell the story from this perspective of every mention of Peter, replacing it with a mention of Jesus. Jesus left Jerusalem. And then he traveled to Lydda, and there Jesus found a man bedridden for eight extremely difficult years. And Jesus said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And then following this miracle, the whole town of Lydda and Sharon began to follow Jesus. Word quickly spread to Joppa about this Jesus and his power to heal. Then some from Joppa begged Jesus to come and pray for their dear sister and the Lord Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, full of good works and charity for the church. And Jesus answers their request and goes to Joppa. And when he arrives, Tabitha has been dead for a while. They've cleaned her body. They've anointed and prepared her body for burial. The women are there wailing and mourning like she is dead. She is dead, dead, okay? And Jesus comes and he empties the room and he kneels at her bedside and Jesus Christ prays the following. He says, Tabitha, arise. And Jesus gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and widows, Jesus presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, right? I'm telling you, church, if I would have started my sermon off like that, you would have thought we were in the Gospel of Luke, right? You'd have been like, wait, this is eerily similar. Like, what's happening here, right? And what's crazy is, what's so crazy about our text is the text doesn't say any of that, right? The text says that Peter did that. That Peter was the instrument that King Jesus used to bring in his kingdom, to bring in his kingdom. And we say, how is that possible? How is that possible? It was possible because Jesus was present with Peter, right? That's what we, I'm not going to belabor this too much because this is what we look at our whole Acts series is that Jesus is now present with us by the Holy Spirit. And at Pentecost, when he ascended to the Father, he poured out the Holy Spirit and he passed the baton to the church. And he's saying, now the church, you are to continue the ministry that I started. You finish what I've started. That's what we've been seeing in all of Acts. Look at John uh, 16 and John 14. John 16, 7. Jesus in the upper room. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, that I ascend to the Father. For if I do not go away, the Holy Spirit, the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay? And then John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And then watch this. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So how is Jesus present with us? He's present with us by the, by the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit inside the believers. And what Jesus clearly links there is that the same Holy Spirit that anointed him at his baptism is the same Holy Spirit that empowers us to continue the ministry that he continued. Where Jesus doesn't just tell the disciples in the upper room, he says the same works. He says greater works than these will you do. Greater. Greater. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's coming. Because I'm going to the Father. Right? And so what that means for you and me is this church is that walking with Jesus means walking in faith that where we go, wherever we go, Jesus now goes with us. Isn't, that's the hope of glory, that Jesus has come, the, the Holy Spirit being the deposit of our inheritance forever, the presence of God, and that deposit will never, that will never get taken from us. That he's present with us both now and forevermore. Right? And so Jesus is present with us, which means that when, when Peter goes to Lydda, Jesus also goes to Lydda. When, and then when Peter goes to Joppa, 
uh, uh, Jesus also goes to Joppa. Peter knew that he walked in faith, that Jesus was with him. The Lord was at his right hand. Therefore, he would not be shaken. Okay? He knew that to be true. And so essentially what we see in our text is we can glorify Peter and, and we honor him and his faith and so on and so forth. But Peter was essentially just the Uber driver for Jesus. Right? And I'll unpack this a little bit more. But Peter is just saying, hey, the presence of God is here. So let me carry. You know, say, oh, Nick, this is blasphemous, all that stuff. Every illustration breaks down eventually, right? But, but what I'm saying is Peter didn't come and hem and haw and say, and say in the name of Peter, rise from the dead. In the name of Peter, uh, be, you know, be healed. That's not what he said. What Peter knew is that when he walked into that room, that Jesus was present, and he was present enough that he could say this line. How can you say this prayer if Jesus is not present with you? Aeneas, Jesus Christ, heals you. How can you say that prayer if Jesus Christ is nowhere to be found? Right? Oh, Jesus Christ, how can you pray that prayer? But if Jesus Christ is with you, and he is in that room in Lydda, and he is in that upper room with Tabitha, who is, who is dead, flatlined, right? And in walks Jesus, and he kneels, right? We're going to talk about what it looks like, right, to, to operate in that power. It's not, all, it's not us. But the only way you can tell someone, hey, Jesus Christ heals you, if he is present with you. And it begs the question, right, if we believe that Jesus is present with us, and we've talked so much about this, um, we need to understand, too, as we see next, that what is he present for, right? And I think none of us would deny the fact, if you're uh, um, a Bible-believing Christian, that God is present with us by His Spirit. His Spirit indwells us, right? Um, but I think where we struggle is not believing that He's present with us, but believing that He's present and able. Present and able, right? And that's my second point, is this, is that we have to, if we're going to walk in faith with Jesus, walking on this journey where he invites us to follow him, we walk knowing that he's present with us, whatever situation, whatever scenario we're facing, but also that he's present and he's able to save, to heal, to deliver, and to speak, okay? And if we're honest with ourselves, I don't think any of us would doubt that Jesus still works miracles today, right? I think, we all, I think we're all on board, right? Like with that, like, yeah, Jesus is still speaking. He's still healing. There's, there's, there's accounts of people in America. You can go, go do a Google search of, uh, of people that uh, have been dead and have been risen to new life. Uh, a couple years ago, a, a boy who drowned, I think, somewhere in, in like Minneapolis, and, and was 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 dead for hours upon hours. And his mom shouts this like Pentecostal fire prayer. There's a movie made about it, and the dude comes. You can watch it on YouTube. The dude comes like boom, everything starts buzzing. All the nurses, nurses rush back into the hospital, the the room there, because he just came back to life, right? Um, and so this is happening. There's 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 a two volume, uh, uh, well respected book by Dr. Craig Keener about miracles. Today. So I don't think any of us would deny, watch this, I don't think any of us would deny that Jesus is still able to heal. What we deny is this, that the means instrument that he would use to heal would be you and me. That's the kicker. That's the kicker. That's, that's what changes everything. See, faith, walking with Jesus in faith for Peter was not saying, oh, I got news of what's happening in Lydda and Joppa, so I'm going to kneel on my bedside in, in Jerusalem and just pray, I have faith, Jesus, you can heal those in Lydda. Jesus, you can heal those in Joppa. No, no, no. Faith for Peter was saying, all right, Lord, let's go. Let it be, I'll be the means, I'll be the instrument by which you, Jesus, get glorified through healing those who are sick, by saving the lost. Use my mouth, use my hands to usher that in. That's the, that's the, uh, the, the, the hinge, right? That's where, that's where the kind of, what kind of pushes against our lack of faith is the Lord saying, um, us believing that the Lord can use us, right, 
to pray for the sick and to set those demonically afflicted free. Or hey, if I'm up here and I and I just flatline, you y'all better call 911 for the glory of God, and y'all better lay hands on me and pray that I rise. You know what I'm saying? Let's see what happens. All right, Lord, don't don't let that happen. Um. <laughs> uh, but this is what Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 looks at. Look at this. This is beautiful. I love Ephesians. I love this prayer in Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Did you guys catch my misreading of that? Did you guys catch that? Why doesn't Paul... I was, I was confounded with this, right? Why doesn't Paul just say, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be glory, right? That's a much easier prayer to pray. Like, oh, I believe, God, you can, oh, you can do all this stuff. And then Paul goes like, and then this is what Paul says. A man who operated in the power of he goes, according to the power at work within us. Abundantly more than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. There's, there's Princeton-educated believers. There are doctorate-level dudes who love Jesus and, and, and were, like, have, have felt bones reform underneath their hands through the glory of Jesus, have seen tumors dissolve and disappear to the glory of God, for the salvation of souls, for the compassion of Christ coming and, and, and removing the curse of sin and disease and death over people, right? It's happening today. And the, 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 hinge, the hinge is, do we believe that the power working, that Jesus is present with us, but present and able to work through us to advance his kingdom? That he wants our hands to get in the game. He wants our mouth to get in the game, right? Not just to have mere intellectual belief, but also have belief that recruits our hands and our legs and our mouths to actually say, hey, I actually, I'm going to go a step further. And I believe. So all this says, we're going to have a prayer team come up after the service like we always do. And if you have stage four cancer to a stubbed toe, come forward today for the glory of Jesus. If he's still enthroned, which he is, over all those things, then why would, we, why would we hold back from seeing what he can do, right? From seeing what he can do. And then uh, the response is, okay, great, Nick. We believe that Jesus can operate in power through us. But what kind of, how does that happen? How, what does that look like, right? Is it, is it hocus pocus? Is it energy healing, which is witchcraft? And, and what does this look like? It's one word. It's prayer. It's prayer. If we learn anything from our text, Prayer is, is humbling ourselves in weakness and saying, Lord, I can't do anything. And so we see Peter kneel at the bedside, right? We see Peter pray. We see Peter, this is what John Piper, John Piper's a Calvinist, right? And we're a reformed church. We're reformed, but we're continuationists as well. But this is what John Piper says. Prayer causes things to happen that would not happen if you had not prayed. Write that down, <laughs> right? Get a tattoo of that on your forearm. Like prayer causes things to happen that would not happen if you had not prayed. And I think for too long in the church, and in in, 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 in whatever, for too long in the church, we just punt to God's sovereignty. And say, oh, God will heal those in Lydda. God will save those in Lydda. God will heal those in Joppa. God. And the Lord says, yes, and the way I work out my sovereign plan is through my yielded church. It's through you going and being my instrument and taking those risky steps of faith. Faith is spelled risk, R-I-S-K. That's why it's so difficult, right? And watch this. The, the following Jesus begins at the end of your comfort zone. That's when we start obeying Jesus. That's when we start following. That's when we start experiencing his love for those that desperately need him is when here's this carpet here on stage. You probably can't see it on the live stream. But when we go, man, I think God is calling me to go love this person. That, you know, whatever the scenario is, and it's uncomfortable. 
congratulations, you're following Jesus. Congratulations, you're following Jesus. And then when it comes to our theology, when it comes to our theology, our theology and practice, our orthodoxy and orthopraxy cannot stop at our level of comfort. And that's why we're going through scriptures here because it continually is a battering ram to our naturalistic presuppositions where we're saying, we're a church, we're saying, if we're saying, and I'm confronted with this, if we're saying we believe Jesus still heals and he still delivers and he still saves today, well, then it obligates us to start recruiting our hands, our mouth, and our feet to go start living that out, right? It's not enough to just tip our hat. James 2, even the demons believe that God is one and they shudder. They don't bend their knee to the lordship of Christ. They don't bend their knee to the lordship of Christ. All right, so to illustrate this, who here likes basketball, the game of basketball? Anyone like a huge basketball fan? Man, a lot of people over here, nobody over here. Wow, y'all are hockey fans, right? Amen, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm a hockey player growing up and, uh, and bottom line of this is I am terrible at basketball, okay? And so when we go and play pickup basketball, we used to do this at the church. We're trying to run it back to Stevenson on Sunday afternoons. Matthew's where you at. Let's get that started. Um, if I'm on your team playing pickup basketball, I am present. But I am not able. Yeah. Right? Right? Like you want to know the most terrifying moment on a basketball court for me? is when you kind of have, like, like every sport, you kind of get a sense for things, and you see there's a turnover in the defensive zone, so you make a beeline down the court, and you're like, I'm open, I'm open, and you actually get the ball. And nobody's around you, and you have to make a layup. And you miss the layup, right? And then the shameful thing is then you're trying to bounce to get the rebound, and then you try to do it again, and you miss again. And, and, and then you have people on your team saying, hey, great effort out there, all this stuff. And you're like, no, 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 don't patronize me. That was embarrassing, all right? Like, you can't redeem that. Okay, hey, great, I saw that run. That was really great. No, 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 no. Don't patronize me. That was awful, all right? I'm fully aware of that, okay? But listen, so I'm present on the field, but I'm not able. I'm not able, and therefore, ain't nobody passing me the ball that much, right? And so what you believe about who's around you, who's present with you, is going gonna, is gonna to change how much you pass them the ball, right? Now, now, if I were to change the illustration and say, hey, uh, we're playing pickup basketball this afternoon and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, Steph Curry gets subbed in on your team. Steph Curry. You know who Steph Curry is? Leave the sermon right now and go watch a, go type in Steph Curry highlights. I'm not even a basketball, like I, but I just watched that guy. He's one of the best players I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it's just amazing, okay? Amazing what he can do. Steph Curry's on the court with you. What are you going to do? The entire game plan changes right? If Nick's on the court, he's present, but he's not able, then you have to run around and you have to keep control. You have to keep control. You have to keep the ball. Don't pass it to him. Take the shot. I might miss it. Also, but if Steph Curry's on the field, on the court with you, uh, <laughs> not on the field, <laughs> best wide receiver in football. I mean, it's amazing. Um, if he's on the court with you, it changes the game, right? You want to run around. You want to you do a full court press on the defense, uh, on the offense, do a full court press, grab the ball from them. Why? So you can just dish it as quick as you, you can to Steph Curry and watch him drain a three from the half-court mark, right? Changes the game. And so what we believe about Jesus changes our approach. And, and, and what, what, in this illustration, what is passing the ball to Jesus look like? It looks like just posturing yourself to pray, right? It looks like saying when uh, your little ones are sick at home or um, you get news that somebody is sick at the hospital or or whatever that is, it's saying, hey, let me go and lay hands on you and pray and contend with you in prayer. Let's, let's pass the ball to Jesus. Let's invite him in and see what he does. 
and see what he does. And so um, that's what that is, right? And so if we begin to believe, and this is what's crazy about the Christian life, and this is still somewhat new for me, is as you begin to posture yourself in humility and do less and pray more, and you begin to see Jesus start answering prayers, it's, it, it, it causes you to, to want to just to, to decrease so that he can increase, right? And so when I went to uh, Oklahoma City about three weeks ago, I was at this conference, this, if, you, if you know the Samuels, uh, they were at the transit. They were there that week. got to hang out with them. I had the most powerful encounter with the living God I've ever had in my entire life, church. I can't even share it. It was the most insane, one of the most insane weeks of my life. And then Sunday morning, the last day I was there, I go to Sam Storms. Dr. Sam Storms Church. We're an Acts 29 church. Dr. Sam Storms is Acts 29. Bridgeway Church is Acts 29. And Dr. Sam Storms is well-respected in the Acts 29 community. They were kind of doing, I missed the morning service, but I went to the afternoon service, and they were doing a healing service. Because there was this other doctor, Dr. Randy Clark, who was there that Sam Storms invited to his church to come and pray for healing. And the way, this was wild. The way Sam Storms started the afternoon service is he gets on stage and he goes, church, this is insane. And he starts, he's like, I can't, my arm got healed. My arm is healed. Like he, and and he, he talked about, he's like, when I was a kid, they did traction. I broke my arm, the traction, it completely shattered my arm. So I had multiple surgeries and I only had limited range of motion my entire life with this left arm. They almost had to amputate my arm. And what, he t- what Sam Storms testified to his entire congregation, you can go watch the live stream, go back, I think it was uh, August 8th. Um, he's doing all this stuff with his arm, like, like kind of weirded out himself because he never had that much range of motion. He's looking at his wife, he goes, Ann, you know I've never had this range of motion my entire life. The Lord has healed me. Why? Well, they pray. They believe that Jesus was present to heal. Randy Clark lays his hands on him, and the dude, Dr. Sam Storms, Dr. Sam Storms, that was earth-shattering for me. Okay, you hear me quote Sam Storms about five times each sermon, okay? And then, and then, and then, I'm about to leave. I was in the bookstore, and I was praying. I was in the bookstore. I was like, Lord, don't let me leave here with books. It's so hard. I bought one book, but I wanted to buy all the books. And, um, and someone told me, go back and talk to Dr. Sam Storms. Go back and talk to him. So I go back and talk to him, and uh, I was like, hey, man. You know, I, I didn't talk to him all service because I got there late. Anyways, and uh, I, I saw him at the conference I was at. Dr. Sandstorms was at the conference I was at, so I got to introduce myself, talk to him. I met his wife. It was awesome. And uh, I told him I would be at his church, yada, yada. And Dr. Sandstorms, when I go and talk to him, um, I asked him to, like, t- sign my forehead and all this. Anyways, uh, just kidding. He was kind of awkward because he was looking around for someone. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. So, and he's looking around. He goes, Brenda, get over here. Get over here. Get over here. And he looks at me, he goes, visiting pastor. And, uh, and I start introducing myself, and, and he looks at me with a big grin, and he goes, you have a nice flight. And he booked out of there, and I talked to her, and she opens up her phone. And this girl, Brenda, had a written out prophetic word for visiting pastor that morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just heard, oh, exactly, that was my response too. I saw it, it was written out. The Lord said, there will be a pastor who is visiting today who is wrestling with a new set of fears and anxieties that he can't seem to shake. Uh, yes and amen, right? Uh, I don't know if you know the transition that recently took place, but I became the lead pastor in January. Um, and uh, and this season, there's been, yes, that's like nail on the head. So she prays over me. She prays over me, prays for healing, prays against demonic attack against my life, all this stuff. And I, and I feel and have felt a complete shift, 180, from where I was at previously. And listen, uh, so then Jeff Samuel and I were grabbing coffee later that afternoon. He's going to take me to the airport. My flight got canceled. And then I had to stay another day in Oklahoma. Anyways, we're at a hipster coffee joint. And uh, he asked me, he goes, man, what are some of your biggest takeaways from the weekend? I just start, I just start crying. So I said, like, oh, you won't believe what just happened, man. You know, we can focus on the gift of prophecy 
and oh, I went to Samson's church and they're, they're into the prophetic, all stuff. That was the Lord coming for his son. That was the Holy Spirit through that girl, Brenda, praying and listening to the Lord saying, hey, I want my son to be set free from anxiety. And what I learned was that, hey, that anxiety you're wrestling with is not the yoke of the lead pastor. That's not what I've called you to. That's not actually like a leadership yoke. That's something that you need to repent from and fight against, right? So it was, it was mind-blowing. And so I go one Sunday morning to Bridgeway Church. Sam Storms gets healed, and I get a prophetic word from the Lord. And the refrain, 1 Corinthians 14, God is really among you. And he's present, and he's able, and he's able. Right? Amen? And those are just the, uh, the stories I can share. All right. Last point, because I know everyone's asking this question. Jesus is trustworthy. He's present and he's able, but he's trustworthy. Why do I say trustworthy? And I'm wrapping up with this. Actually, I'm not wrapping up with this. <laughs> uh, why this last one? Because walking with Jesus is not walking with a slot machine. Walking with Jesus is not walking with a slot machine where faith is the lever to get whatever you want. You are walking with a person, a person who is all wise and all good and all loving. And often the way faith is talked about is if you just pray the right prayers, you hit the slot machine, God has to give you what you pray for. He's not a slot machine. We are abiding with a person. We don't have a program, right? And the person that we're, that we're walking with and who's able and who's present with us is also trustworthy. He's all wise. He's a thousand years ahead of the church. He's a thousand years ahead of us. He's a thousand years ahead of us in his sovereignty. And his grace to us, his grace to us is that he doesn't always say yes to our prayers. His grace to us is that our prayers sometimes don't get answered the way we want because he knows what's best. And look at the example of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, Saul Tarsus, had seen countless miracles. He experienced the heal. He was blind, by the way, for three days. He got healed. The Lord used him to save, to heal, and deliver. And then look at what uh, uh, his prayer before the Lord was for um, this, this, this thorn in the flesh, okay? 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. And by the way, there's a ton of debate about what this is. I'm not going to get into that. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Watch this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul, he contended in prayer for healing, for release, whatever this was. And the Lord said, and I believe the Lord said, with probably sorrow in his voice, I'm so sorry, my son. I can't because what would kill you, Paul, what would kill you would be conceit and comfort would kill you. So how would you steward this health if I gave it to you? How would you steward this comfort if I gave it to you? That would kill you. And listen, if, if, Jesus, answered, if Jesus answered the prayer to remove the thorn of flesh, you and I very well might still be stuck in our sins and not be here. Because it says strategically, Paul says, I would have been a proud, conceited, arrogant, puffed up, televangelist prophet with the amount of revelation I was getting, right? The flashy cars, the jets, all that stuff, and the gospel wouldn't have gone to the, uh, gone to the nations. 
And so the Lord says, Paul, I need you weak. You need the hardship. You need the suffering. You need the affliction. And not just you, but everyone else through you on the other end, who for 2,000 years, in the midst of their agonizing suffering, the church can look at the Apostle Paul's testimony of the faithfulness of Christ in the midst of suffering. For 2,000 years, when the Lord says, sorry, I can't lift this one, Paul. And Paul's response was, you're trustworthy. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I will be content. Christ Jesus is enough. I don't need Christ and change of circumstances. Christ is enough. You might be asking, well, how long should I pray for healing? Because I know as well as you do, there's family members that you have, or personally you have physical affliction. Here's, here's what I've heard, and, and, I, and, I, and I think it's, it's, it's even in the text we just read. Pray for healing until God tells you to stop or you drop dead. Right? Repeatedly with prayer, Jesus invites us to come to him as like young kids asking for lollipops, right? I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. That's how Jesus invites us to come to the Father in prayer. He says, beat down the door, be the neighbor in the middle of the night who beats down the door, like bother me, I want to hear from you, right? So keep praying, keep contending until the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul, that's the example we have of Paul. He pleaded, he pleaded, he pleaded, he pleaded, and then the Lord said, okay, it's enough. And he stopped. And he stopped. Keep praying until God tells us to stop or we die. So yes, God is trustworthy, but yes, he's still able. He's still able. And so before I share this third point, if I was at the second point and you're going to come forward to prayer, still come forward for prayer. Right? And we're still going to pray for you because Jesus very well, just because he loves you, wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. So returning to our text, and this is where I am wrapping up. Peter knew Jesus was present. Peter knew Jesus was able. And Peter knew Jesus was trustworthy. And what that led to for Peter was that he lived a life of risk. He lived a life of risk. This is what he risked traveling out of Jerusalem. He risked physical safety, right? The Sanhedrin could have arrested him and killed him. A riot could have broken out in those towns. He, rested his, he, he risked his reputation and maybe even the reputation of Jesus. Jesus, what if I go and nothing happens, Right? That's why it's risky to step out in faith because, because it's something like nothing might happen, right? What if I go and I'm saying, rise and walk, and nobody's walking? You know, like, like that's a risk, a risk of reputation, my reputation, risk, reputation of Christ. There was risk involved. He risked his personal safety, his failure. He risked rejection. But look at what happened on the other end of Peter's risky faith. Verse 35 and verse 42. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw this man and they turned to the Lord. And then verse 42 in Joppa. And it became known throughout all Joppa that Tabitha was raised from the dead, and many believed in the Lord. What we see here in our text is that Jesus wasn't just after the physical health of Lydda and Sharon and Joppa. What was he after according to our text? He was after their hearts. He was after their hearts. It serves no one any good to heal them as they're still en route to hell, right? And so the healing comes because Jesus is compassionate, because it's the coming of his kingdom where he's restoring all things. He's breaking off the curse of sin, death, demonic, and disease. But most importantly, Jesus is after our hearts and turning to him in fresh faith and repentance. Fresh faith and repentance. This is what he says to his disciples. This was the greatest miracle. 
No, no, no. Let me, let me, let me, I'm jumping around my notes here. I am uh, two more minutes. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says this. And, and a couple chapters later, he's going to tell his disciples to do everything he told them here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? In verse 23, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. At the end of the day, what Jesus is after, whether he calls you to pray prayers of faith for healing or to, to pray a word of prophecy over someone or so on and so forth, whatever he calls you to do, Jesus is saying, I want you. I want you. I don't need all the other stuff. I just want your heart. I want your heart. That's the gospel, is the heart of sinners returning to the heart of their Savior. And I'll wrap up with John 12, 32. Jesus Christ saying, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And when I am lifted up on that cross, absorbing the wrath of God against the, the sins and wickedness of humanity, I will draw people to myself. They'll see the justice of God and the love of God and the wisdom of God and the power of God meet and marry at that cross of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, and that will draw men to see the heart of God who created humanity for himself. Created humanity for himself. So if you're here today, Jesus Christ wants you to turn to him with fresh faith. He very well could heal you today. He very well could lift addiction, depression, fears off of you today. That's what he does. It's a Luke 4 calling. He could lift physical affliction, demonic affliction off of you. He very well might do that because he loves you. But at the end of the day, what, what I felt the Lord wanted me to invite us to is whether you're here today and a believer or not a believer, is, is the Lord wants our hearts to turn to him. To turn to him. This is the result of Jesus entering Lydda and Jesus entering Joppa is yes, he was after their health and after the advancement of the kingdom, but most importantly, he was after their hearts. And the greatest miracle, the greatest miracle and the greatest joy of Jesus in our text today, what happened historically in Lydda and Joppa was this moment when lost sinners turned from their sins back to the outstretched arms of their Lord and Savior who was crucified to know them and love them, okay? So let's, let's bow our heads and let's turn to the Lord today. It's been a rough season. We're coming here. Some of us are disillusioned. We're weary. We're heavy laden. We're saying, Jesus, where are you? All we see is evil and wickedness triumphing. Turn to Jesus today, this morning with that. Turn to him in faith. Go to him with your fears. Go to him with your doubts. Go to him with your concerns and see what he says. 2 Corinthians 1, he comforts us. The Holy Spirit comforts us in our affliction. And if you're here today and you've never tasted and seen the goodness of God and knowing Christ Jesus, don't invite Jesus Christ into your life. Give him your life. That's what faith is. It's surrendering to King Jesus. We don't invite Jesus in like he's another commodity to add him into everything else. No, we lay down our lives for the one on the cross who died in our place, lay down our lives for him. And you hand it over. Maybe some of us as believers, we need to do that again today. Say, Jesus, here's my life. We're going to sing Build My Life with the worship team. I will build my life upon your love. Let that be truth of us today. Cry out to Jesus. He's here. He's present with us. 
And He's able to comfort you in your affliction. He's able to speak directly to your heart right now with whatever you're facing. He's able to do for me what He's done for you, which is to lift decades of bondage and addiction and self-hatred and condemnation. In an instant, His Spirit could fall and do that. That's what He's done in my life. So He's present and He's able and He's worthy of your trust. And so let's lay down our lives with fresh faith to our Savior who's still resurrected. The grave is still empty. He's still on the throne. And he was high and lifted up on the cross to draw all men to himself to save us from the wickedness and the horror of this world. So let's come to him with fresh faith today. We'll sing this one last song and I'll lead us in communion.